Morning, Dr. Mick. How are you going? Very well, Dr. Andrew. Here we are again doing another podcast today, and it's a beautiful winter's day. It's Wednesday in Sydney, and today our topic of choice is... Feet. Feet, yeah. So we're going to run through... Uh, common conditions. Uh, we'll run. We'll run you through. We've got five main points, if we could, and stay with us because I, I know we've had some feedback that you guys like to get some uh, uh, clarity of where we're headed through the podcast. So we're going to talk about one: the common conditions that affect the feet. Number two, uh, we'll talk about is are running shoes worth spending money on? Uh, number three, the effect of high heels on your feet and your body. Uh, and also football boots, uh, do they cause any problems with kids' feet and adults' feet uh, and sports shoes in general? And the final one, sort of a big topic at the end, is the controversial topic of, for some people, of orthotics. I didn't realise it was controversial. Yeah, well, we'll get to that one because some people don't think you need them um, and other people, you know, other people do, but we'll talk about why, I hope, when we get to that that. that part of the podcast so first of all why don't we talk about just the common stuff that goes wrong with feet um what's off the top of your head in that regard ah uh, well the most common thing we were just chatting before weren't we certainly the most common thing that i see is plantar fasciitis and especially for women i just realized bunions bunions they're there too yep they're on my list um, we could also throw in Achilles tendonitis, yeah. uh, uh, Morton's metatarsalgia or Morton's, Morton's neuroma, neuroma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, plantar warts, those funny things that you get underneath your feet, and the final common thing that we see are stress fractures, I think, yeah, yeah with runners and athletes and sports people in general. So should we talk a little bit first of all about the most common thing that we see, and that is plantar fasciitis um, now the one thing that I know with plantar fasciitis is it's it's dead giveaway that when a patient gets out of bed first thing in the morning they go to take their first step and they get pain on the inside of their heel uh, uh, you know right on the inner part of the of the heel of the foot on the inside of the foot and then it hurts for a, you know like a little while and then it'll progressively get a bit better during the day, but it often hangs around. Yeah, well, that's, uh, even for plantar fasciitis, I reckon, depending on the age of the person, that's a giveaway that they're getting a heel spur. So it's mm. arthritis on the plantar connection uh, at, the, at the heel of the foot. So the common thing with, um, and funny thing, you know, the, years ago they used to operate on heel spurs, mm-hmm. and they found that that, uh, a medical intervention... And they found that that outcome uh, wasn't very fruitful because the spurs actually just grew back. So, uh, so a, a really typical, isn't it, where um, treating the end result doesn't change the causative factors. Which yeah. is something we talk about a lot. It's a common the diff- thing. The common difference thing. between the medical look at the end result as opposed to the more chiropractic let's look at what's causing it approach. Yeah, and often if you, we've always spoken about too that if you've got something that's inflamed or something where a bone spur is forming, um, it's trying to stabilise an area. So 
Um, it's trying to it's trying to cause an area to shut down because of excessive movement at times. Excessive stress on that point, so it's trying to turn a soft tissue into a bony tissue to make it stronger. Well said. So with plantar fasciitis, I'm just going to run through a couple of things. Uh, look, I've I've treated a lot, and I you know normally get some decent results, as I imagine you would as well. I get results every time yeah i find sometimes the more longer it's been there the longer it is to actually help i've, I've treated a lot and i've seen some extreme cases of people who haven't been able to play sport for years and those people take a long time to turn around i've really found some of those people sometimes they don't but i've seen some people that i've struggled with some of those patients to be honest but they're the long-term chronic ones and it takes much longer than I find the acute ones. Oh, well, the first thing I'll, I'll say from what I've noticed, every person with plantar fasciitis has dropped arches in the feet. Okay. Every single time. And that leads to our fifth point, which would be orthotics as well. Um, but also looking at why they have dropped feet from potentially a chiropractic point of view, you know, mm-hmm. or a biomechanical point of view. Um, but plantar fasciitis... One thing I, but, and, and I don't know about you, but why do you think they wake up in the morning with that pain overnight? Uh, inflammatory process overnight, and then it's the first part of weight bearing in the morning. Yeah, that was the initial part of what I thought as well. Mm-hmm. I do think sometimes um, some people clench their toes during their sleep as well, so it activates the plantar fascia during sleep. I think. You, well, here's something. If you talk about clenching, then if they're clenching their toes, do you think that they're clenching teeth and jaw? Yes, I do. Buddy. Something we've discussed as well. I'd say they go together. I think that's a very, very, very astute uh, observation, and that's been my observation as well. So the clenching of the jaw and the, cl- the clenching of the um, feet, uh, the clawing of the feet, like a bird's mm. claw, is one of the other reasons why overnight. It's And it all comes back to it's a stress response of the body to get into that flexed position. It's in a more inflammatory state, and boom, we've got a reaction happening. Mate, that's spot on. Wow, I'm really, I'm really impressed that you even thought down that track because I thought I was on top of that, but you were on top of it already. Um, so... If we look at then, that's also a, a neurotransmitter thing in the brain too, isn't it? Why why patients may why people with plan of, why people clench too, you know, with that stress response that we've spoken about ad nauseum in other mm. other podcasts. Yeah, so. that's a that's a whole different podcast, really, isn't it? But I, I really agree with you on that one as to one of the instigating factors. Other factors that I look at, obviously, we're going to talk a bit about orthotics and and foot mechanics as well. Um, but I'm always on really look at posture a lot I'm looking at pelvic imbalance is the foot drop causing pelvic imbalance or vice versa sometimes it's a which came first the chicken or the egg Uh, and something I find really interesting is putting someone on the bilateral scales yeah I do that too every time you find an imbalance if someone gets chronic plantar fasciitis weight bearing mind yeah, on one side there's yeah. always a, an imbalance there um, now once again which came first the chicken or the egg not entirely sure but it's addressing that imbalance looking at the plantar fasciitis is one factor and then looking at getting them more balanced as a whole 
person organism I'm talking about putting them on the scales and saying, wow, that six kilo imbalance you used to have is now down to two. That's going to be a lot less load on that foot and knee and hip. Yeah, absolutely. And it's part of that too. I think on a, on a, on a side issue, I've noticed that when people have lap band surgery, they, they often their feet problems improve just through sheer load. And I'm wondering if the lap band, uh, when they get the weight off also, and that's the same, you know, principle of what you're saying is getting less weight on that one one foot but i wonder if that's because they get some postural improvement as well when they uh, get the lap band surgery yeah good point mick i think uh, spot on don't know um let's go to so plantar fasciitis different things we can do about it ranging from chiropr i mean as you say orthotics chiropractic taping techniques yeah acupuncture all that stuff massage soft, yeah, yeah yeah just getting stuck into those soft tissues address the arches look at foot and knee mechanics just getting stuck into whether it's acupuncture or soft tissue work in the arch i've got a couple of instruments um, i'm now starting to use laser as well so things like that great um, achilles tendonitis um, we're not on a different track here we're on the same street Mm. Uh, I'm just thinking with Achilles tendonitis that um, it's more of a frictioning that happens because subtalar rigidity or hypermobility most of the time. So we should talk about what subtalar is. So subtalar is a joint at the back of your heel. Mm-hmm. And if it's it's moving it's part too of the much, ankle complex. Yeah, and, and as you said, the foot's a really complex joint earlier, isn't it? You know, there's so many bones in there and uh, joints, and they all move in a and really unique yeah, way. And it supports our entire body weight. And as one of my clients said, ah, oh, it's such an interesting spot. There's so many little bones in there, and they've all got funny shapes. It is amazing how we've evolved to be standing upright and have that balance, but it's no wonder we get these dysfunctions and imbalances occurring. Yeah. I mean, as you say, uh, dynamically complex. uh, uh, Nice phrase. Yeah, it is. It really, truly is. Um, So... With with the Achilles tendon, it can become inflamed, or the bursa can become inflamed, or the bone can come inflamed, or the ten the junction of where the bone meets the tendon coming inflamed. It's all different flavors, but ultimately the causes are often the same. Yeah. And one of the big things you and I think of with Achilles tendonitis is leg length discrepancy once yeah. again, because it's causing one leg to load more than the other in the biomechanics. And the other stuff we spoke about with plantar fasciitis is all relevant for Achilles tendonitis. Absolutely. And shin splints and all yep. that sort of stuff. Yep. But internal knee rotation. But you need to have good Achilles function, you need to have good plantar fascia function and good foot function and communication smooth between the front, the middle and the back of the foot. There's, uh, um, as we talk about this, uh, I think we both have a similar approach. And one is, yep, we want to address the site that's inflamed, whether that's the plantar fascia whether it's the Achilles tendon, whether it's the shin splints, whether it's knee inflammation. But then we want to look at the factors about how did this spot get excessively stressed and inflamed in the first place. So we look at the joints around it further up the chain to get everything into a better balance so that this is operating properly. When I say operating, it's working, functioning. I'm not talking about surgery. (laughs) Well said. Um Let's go on to some of our other ones, which is 
Uh, if you've never heard of it, it's called Morton's Metatarsalgia or Morton's Neuroma. Yeah. Um, Typically you... between the second and third tags, isn't it? Or third and fourth tags. And pain and burning or pins and needles. Yeah, just painful standing on it. Yeah. And it's because of the, the long bones of the foot rubbing against each other and causing the nerve to become excited or swollen. And, yeah. and, uh, and I've, I've had people who, in the more severe cases, yeah, ended up doing surgery. Me too, yeah. Uh, but I think, I look, my personal opinion on that is uh, they come to us uh, uh, trying, uh, you know, the, the horse is already bolted. Um, so they're trying to shut the gate after the horse is bolted with treatment because the nerve has become that swollen. Or it might be an incidental thing that they mention, even though they're mm. getting back pain and hip pain mm. as well. So the back and the neck, uh, back and the hip, because they're not wanting to put weight well, on that sore yeah, side. By the know? time it gets to the Morton's metatarsalgia stage, they've had it for years. Yeah. And it's taken a long time to get that nerve damage to the point where, geez, that spot in my foot really hurts. I can't stand up properly. Because what initially happens to a nerve, it'll swell, won't it? But then it'll 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 narrow and and yeah, become smaller. It atrophies. Yeah. It starts yeah. to die off. Yeah. So it goes from being a thick piece of string and a swollen piece of string to a, a little piece of frayed string. Yeah. Um. Uh, the big ones. The next one's bunions, mate. Uh. And bunions can be caused by a couple of things I can think of. One is having a uh, longer second toe than a uh, first toe mm-hmm. or first ray, they call it. And that's because when you have a longer second toe, it means that your point of exit. So just, you know, when, when we walk, we should land on the outside of our heel. And when your foot leaves the ground, it should leave off your big toe. Toe but, off. Yeah. yeah, toe off. But if your second toe is longer than your first, your toe off is your second toe, not your first toe. So the people with a congenitally long, like you're born with a long second toe, you can end up with a bunion. Because hence of, the hereditary factors. Yeah. Because we see it running families, don't we? Yeah, the tree swingers. Yeah. You know they the gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on a sec. What the hell are you talking about? Uh, here? Yeah, those I'm people talking about who descended from monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've got we've got the um, we've got that, and high heels can be a function. Yeah, uh, well, a big cause of that. hence why it is so prevalent in women. And not men. Yeah. I, it would be 10 women to one man who would get bunions. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you're probably dead right what, on the incidence. Why, yeah, I don't why know. Why is that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good question. I don't have, you know, I, mean, I like to present the scientific data. Don't know on that one. I suspect there's a couple of things. I suspect high heels, which we're about to talk about. I suspect women have more flexible joints as well. And if we're talking hereditary, maybe there's... That second toe is longer in women than men. I don't know, but I'm just putting it out there. Oh, mate, you've opened a can of worms uh, there. Pandora's box. You're, impli- you're implying that women are, are Have more bigger primal. Toes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next one along the list, and we'll get back to bunions, is plantar warts. Um, and I didn't, like, I've seen heaps of plantar warts. Why they're relevant to you and I is if someone has a plantar wart, they, they, they get painful. And so they don't want to bear weight on the plantar wart under the foot. So that means they become a chiropractic case because everything else goes uh, out, of out of whack because they don't want to bear weight through that. And a plantar wart's like a hole that develops underneath your foot. But it's actually the HPV virus, which is the uh, human 
papilloma virus. Same um, thing as coleslaw. Coleslaws, yeah, same thing, same thing as mayonnaise and uh, some <laughs> sauerkraut or the yeah cabbage. Um, no, and it's basically an infection that gets under your foot through the cracks in your foot. So it, it can happen to if you're unlucky to anyone, I guess, if you're hanging around public showers and uh, without thongs on and all that sort of stuff, and you got good old camping, for, yeah. yeah, camping too, yeah. Um, and the final one I just want to talk about quickly is uh, with runners and athletes, commonly stress fractures. Yeah. And once again, we've talked about uh, the causes why of biomechanical issues. And, you know, we can talk about leg lengths. We've got about pelvis. We're talking about even upper neck posture and shoulder posture and all that sort of stuff. And the importance of biomechanics of the feet. But also with stress fractures, I feel it's really important to mention two other things. One of them is several things, actually, not just one, is blood flow. So it's blood flow being compromised into the foot for whatever reason, and that can be because of you know, any, any tightening on the artery or any, um, any compression on How the artery. How do you artery. pick that up? Uh, well, that's a tough part for... If, unless you've got the actual tests where you can do an angiogram and check the blood flow into the foot, you have to go on your your, your clinical signs and symptoms, you know. Um, and for me, uh, that's a hard one to pick up. Like cold the, toes? Yeah, cold toes, but they don't necessarily have to have cold toes too, mm. you know. Um, I do think it's more like a compartment syndrome, you know. Mm. You've heard of that one where, I don't know if any of like Andrew and I know what compartment syndrome is, but it's just when muscles and fascia becomes tight in the feet, and in, sorry, in the calves, and the, and, the, and the leg, and it restricts blood flow. Mm. And so um, people can get pain in their, like shin splint type pain or pain in their lower leg because of tightness of muscles. Uh, and muscle tightness can be purely muscular, but in Andrew and I's opinion, I'm sure he's going to agree with me like this, most of the time muscles tighten for a reason. Um, and it's not purely because people need magnesium, but they mm. tighten for a reason. So, you know, what Andrew and I would probably say is that there's a biomechanical underlying cause to it, mm. but rather than it... Like, everyone injures in different areas mm. for different reasons. Some people... I had a mate, my dentist, he's an anecdote, who yeah. got really bad compartment syndrome after going motorbike riding. And he got foot drop. So he compressed a, so a, a was perineal in, nerve he, or he was, Yeah, he was in the tight leathers... He hadn't been motorbike riding, did the weekend ride thing, and obviously a lot of the gear changes, no foot up, foot down, and um, you end up with foot drop. Yeah. He just had that. How long until it come back? Uh, it was a couple of months, two or three really? months. Yep, yep. I see it, because I was working in rugby league once, and, mm. and um, <laughs> this bloke ended up with a, um, like a bruise in his like knee, and... When the physio came up and put ice on his uh, bruised knee, they froze the nerve, right? So he ended up, he couldn't walk for like a couple of days because of the foot drop that happened with the, the ice. Wow, that's really yeah. out there. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't that. He was freaking out. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of funny. He, he came good. Um, so, and we talk about, so we've talked about blood, we're talking about muscles. Important from a chiropractic point of view, we talk about nerves. So if the nerves are compressed, the nerves carry the electricity to the muscles. And so if you get muscle tightening, um, if you get muscle 
wasting, if there's any um, muscle issue, we've also got to look at the nerve supply to yeah, the, the muscle. The neurology's not working properly because the nerves are what tell the muscles to work, switch on and off. Yes. Yeah, every time. Every time. And inflammation we've got to speak about too because people can get inflamed for different reasons and that inflammation doesn't have to be biomechanical. It can be biochemical. Yeah. And by biochemical, we mean... Diet. Diet, and we mean any underlying health conditions that someone might have, like diabetes or anything mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And diabetic neuropathies, and you know, there's another thing, and myopathies, but we won't go into that. But there's underlying reasons why foot, feet, muscles and feet may not work properly as well. Yeah. Um, and look, people with muscle tightness can respond well to stuff like magnesium, but it's the tip of an iceberg. Yeah. Yeah, normally. Um, So I think that covers our main topics of what goes wrong with feet. Um, Well, the things that we see. That we see. Oh, look, there's probably stacks more, but they're they're off the top of our head what we thought was relevant. Um, Anything, you know, you can get ankle sprains, you know, you can get... Yeah, but that's more of a trauma, trauma related sports. uh, Lefranc's injury, all that sort of stuff, you know. Um, Lefranc's or Liz Frank? Oh, uh, oh, you're probably speaking French uh, now. Nice one. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, 2017, did you know that in 30 years that um, more than 50% of runners still get injured in the same incidents with the changes in foot technology in shoes? So what you're saying is uh, since 30 years ago, which was 1987... Ah, oh, the glory days. <laughs> Take me back you to Bruce Springsteen. You were playing footy and Henta. Yeah, Henta, Henta, yeah, that's right. I was back a Back to the teenage years. Yeah. Um, so in 30 years, I remember playing tennis in Dunlop Volleys in the country. But now we have these... You would have had good group. Amazing... Uh, I still love a pair of Dunlop Volleys just to wear around the house. Um, uh, with all the advances we've had in technology... And the squillions of dollars spent on development with said ASICs, Nike, Brooks, Reebok, Reebok, Adidas, uh, there's been no change in the injury rate. And don't you think that's the big question for punters? Yeah. What's going on with that? Like the, the, and we spend 300 on a pair of shoes or 350 yeah. as compared to 50 yeah. Are you actually getting good value for your money in that? Um, well, here's what I would say. Um, from And we're going to talk a bit about orthotics shortly, but the people I deal with in regards to making orthotics, American company, uh, talk about two brands which give better foot ankle support. ASICs for the narrower foot and Brooks for the wider foot. And in my opinion, all the other ones which, um, you know, Nike's a good example. They're more of a fashion item than a healthy piece of footwear to do exercising. Mm. Yeah, especially like the different, there's a whole heap of different Nikes What, out what do you think? Oh man, I, I feel divided on this because uh, well, after looking into it, um, I think the shoe industry as a whole does a horrible job of matching footwear to feet. You know, so you get some young punter who's had the athlete's foot, yeah, uh, two-hour training, yeah, sounding like the expert of 
yeah, this is what you need, you mm. know? Yeah, don't you? That's right. Uh, you, here's, <laughs> here's a common scenario. Uh, one of our patients comes in and goes, right, I was in athlete's foot. They did the scan. They told me I need this shoe. Yeah. I'm like, okay, what is the qualifications of the person doing the scan? Yeah, I, or what is the machine checking out? What is it actually, yes, you measuring? Know, yeah, so... A lot of that's marketing, as you know, rather than function. Mm-hmm. Um, because to truly function your foot, you've got to see the way it moves. Mm-hmm. Static scans are often, I think, limited. Um, so what do I think? I think that um, I think money's wasted a lot on shoes. I, don't get me wrong, I get ASICs, but I put orthotics in my ASICs because mm-hmm. uh, I find or ASICs comfortable for me. I've got a very high arch. But, um, you know... I, and then I, I really like if I've got a running shoe, I like it to be light. Um, or if I've got a cross trainer, I don't care as much because the cross trainer is more for going to the gym, you know, or a fashion statement. Well, that's my opinion. It's that's just fashion. It's fashion. We're yeah. always on our feet doing exercise. So what's the difference between a cross trainer? You know, there's shoes you can wear for outdoors to go hiking in outdoors, which are more of a um, well, uh, that might be waterproof or yeah, other things. Yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. But they're not necessarily providing your feet with better support. It's more of a um, an outdoor wear shoe. Yeah, it's the outer yeah. function, not necessarily the inner, inner function. function. Yeah, yeah, nicely said. Yeah. Um, so, I've, yeah, look, I, I don't think there is value in spending a lot of money on shoes. I, I, I think it's over... Over, people spend too much, especially runners spend too much. And I think a lot of that is the perceptions that lead them to make that decision. Mm. And that perception is, is given by people who own running store shops. Running, yeah, so so uh, running shoe stores, I should say. It didn't come out the right way. Um, so I, I think a lot of those guys are... Uh, are governed by the information that they're given by the manufacturers and then they're also the manufacturers are always looking for an advantage over their uh, competitors none of these manufacturers have ever provided any information or studies to say if you wear our shoes you'll get injured less none of them ever end of story Yeah, yeah, I agree. None of them ever. And if they do, can you please let us know? Because we would love to know. (laughs) I want to say... Ironclad guarantee that if I wear your shoes, I will not get uh, any injuries. Although, there was one dude. Hang on, you sparked me on something. Yeah. Remember those rocker shoes that had the... uh, um, The MBTs. You remember them? Yes. Yeah, I've got some patients who use them. So what I know about them is, sure, they're going to help with your arch of your foot because it's taking that that roll away so by putting in your, your foot will not uh, your arch will not um, load and unload or um, um, compress and decompress like it's meant to with those because mm-hmm. that rocker shoe is performing the heart the function of the underside of the foot mm-hmm. but what it does do with those shoes is stuff your achilles tendon mm-hmm. so yeah they might give you an ironclad guarantee of plantar fasciitis but they'll probably give you also on the disclaimer an ironclad guarantee it's going to stuff your Achilles tendon as well. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can never... There is no perfect solution I should, I to should, an imperfect problem. Yeah, yeah, we should point out neither of us have any affiliation with any of the shoe companies. I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah. But we both use ASICs. 
So maybe there's something in that. Yeah, and, and that for me, they're comfortable, you know. Um, but I used to be, I used to like Reebok because they used to do a wide shoe as well. And, and in America, you can get heaps more wide sizes because I've got a fairly wide foot with a high yeah. arch. That's what I was saying, the, the company I deal with for orthotics, they talk about Brooks being good for a wide foot. Yeah, you said but, that. Yeah, but I, I've uh, never tried Brooks, actually, but I'd be open to trying anything, you know. I just know these were good for me. Um, so, look, I think we've covered the, sh- the running shoe thing. I, I hope we've <laughs> helped shed some light on, on runners. Well, if you know your size, right, and if you, you, you know there's a good deal around, I can't see why you wouldn't buy a couple of pairs of shoes that even if they were last season or two. Do you know what I mean? If you're after function rather than yeah. fashion. Yeah. Like last seasons that were half the price yeah. would be just as good yeah, as this Yeah, that's what seasons. I do. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, uh, barefoot running, that's another thing that's sort of taken off and there are a pair of Nikes that look like a glove that go on your sh- on your foot. Oh, pairing up, mate. There's the whole barefoot running, um, uh, the five-finger glove brand. Yeah. Yes, okay. And, of course... Um, well, and, and Nike came along well after then. Okay. Okay. Yeah, oh, look, Andrew and I will probably... Like, we'll get to this in orthotics, but the, the reality is that humans are not designed to walk on flat, hard surfaces that are man-made. We're meant to walk walk on natural surfaces where the terrain is undulating. And there's a bit more give and, and better shock absorption in that. Yes. So, but the, the main thing too with our foot in the, in the urban environment is that um, the foot becomes lazy and weak because it's not being challenged in different directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, much like uh, if you're walking over rocks or grass where the or you know different terrains where your foot gets exercised in different planes of motion it would get naturally stronger and and living in the city for anyone listening we just don't walk as much we don't spend as much time on our feet mm. yeah yeah true didn't even consider that one um as well you know country life uh, i wonder if that's changing now <laughs> <laughs> Um, so barefoot running, sure. If you can, barefoot running would be a disaster in an urban environment, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, should in, in, should only be done on grass and dirt. Yes. So um, then we just want to cover one more, two more small things before we get onto the orthotic situation. Football boots for children, and and uh, maybe even netball boots or tennis shoes or anything, or the you know the DMC shoes, the skater shoes, all of that stuff. They generally have no heel or arch support. Mm-hmm. So if you are in the if you're in trainers during the day and you go to play sport in some of these other shoes, it's massively problematic because you're not even getting the effects of uh, cushioning or arch and heel support that you would get in a trainer with some of these other shoes. So hence, if you're developing symptoms like a sore back or foot pain or shin splints or knee pains or anything that we've spoken about. And, and think about this, especially with all of the different footy boots, the different codes, you know, moulded soles, some of them have the screw-in stops. Um, how unnatural is that? We're both former footballers. You were NRL, I was AFL. Um, I used to sprain my ankles all the bloody time, let me tell you. Uh, so injuries are really common when you're loading up your feet and ankles and knees 
in a shoe that is not naturally worn for healthy foot movement. Yeah, that's a part I didn't consider because they often have a very uh, rigid last too. They, yeah. They've got a rigid underside yeah. that doesn't allow any flex. Remember when you used to get a new pair of footy boots at the start of the season and you'd always get blisters when you wore them in? Had to put a bit of the old petroleum oh, jelly yeah. on the heel well, for I the just, first I, couple of weeks? After, uh, when I, got I used older. to put metho on my heels to get a callus happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did, I, does, does anyone else out there yeah. do that? I, used to, I got smarter I got older and just started wearing band-aids before yeah. I started wearing them because it was just too much grip. Remember when you took them off? Do you remember that. when you took them off the first time you'd have massive blisters oh, you know, yeah, on the back gosh. of your feet growing up? That was the 80s, mate, you know? That was old school. That was, yeah, imagine our kids now coming back with blisters, you know what I mean? Like, we'd be like, <laughs> harden up, son. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have a cup of cement. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and we, you may want to consider, even a, a tip from me, that if you've got a pair of footy boots, you may want to take your... Um, you get an orthotic, as we'll talk about, or alternately, even take the inner inner sole of your trainer out and put it in your uh, football boot as well, you know, just to give you some cushioning. Bit of know? shock absorption. Yep. Now, the final thing for the ladies and you on weekends is high heels. So what do you think? <laughs> what did you just say? <laughs> No, Andrew's not a cross-dresser. Um, high heels. So what do you think, mate, of the high heel situation? Yeah, I think it's pretty commonly known by most of the public these days that high heels look fantastic, they look sexy, really bad for your feet, ankles and knees. Yeah, mainly the toe pressure, ingrown toenails, Squeezing at the front of the foot. Bunions. Bunions. Metatarsalgia. Yeah. Shortened Achilles. So your Achilles. Exactly right. How? Surely you've seen this um, from the women because I'm yet to come across a man who wore them for many years every day at work. Um, but for women who've worn them for many years because it was a work situation, part of the office, and then I just can't wear flats. The Achilles are so chronically shortened and scar tissued that they wear flats and they get ankle pain mm, yeah no I've, doubt. I've seen that several times yeah and people are actually develop like because and then as you know uh that when you put when you're on the pumps and you tilt forward mm. that changes your lumbar lordosis too yep. right so your low back arches and so, oh, yeah, get more headaches when I'm wearing heels. Yeah, but then they try to change and go off them and they develop all these other problems because their bodies become accustomed to being in that posture. Yeah. And they need a chiropractor or, you know, a good health practitioner to balance them out, you know, because of the, the changes in the centre of gravity as they've come forward. You know what? Yep. Um, my uh, full disclosure, I think they look awesome too. <laughs> but... Yeah, they're just not good for feet and ankles. So wear them knowing that um, you're better off only wearing them for short periods of time. I've got I've got a few tips on it. Massage yep. and stretch after you wear them. Obviously, you know, see a chiropractor or a health practitioner that you know you've got faith in if you think that they're causing problems to your spine. Alternate alternate wedges and platforms, you know, over a thinner heel so you're yep. getting the weight distribution. Um Wear commuter shoes, as you indicated, I think, you know, so if you're, you know, going to and work, 
you know, yeah. but work is where you've got to make a statement yeah. that you can wear other shoes, you know, to and from. Make a statement or even it's, it, for some people it is just part of their expected wear, Yeah. which is probably not so PC in the modern day, but it happens. Yeah. So I think that covers the most of it. Now, what we're going to finish on the final topic, I'll let Andrew take the lead here more. Um, because him, he and I both do orthotics, but um, he's actually prepared that part of it a little bit more than I. So I think we'll just we'll, we'll get we've covered a bit of it what we're going to speak about. Mm-hmm. Um, but mate, like, why do you think? As we spoke about why orthotics are necessary. What's your, what's your view on that? Well, just to come back at why do we look at feet? Why do we look at orthotics? There's four parts of the body which have really high nerve feedback to the brain, telling the brain what's happening uh, with the body. One's the jaw, two's the upper neck, three's the the pelvic joints, sacroiliac joints, and we're familiar with those because we look at all those areas. And four is the ankle or the subtalar joint, as you were talking about this before. So it's really important that these areas are working healthily so that our brain is working better so it's giving feedback to the brain those That's four areas about all the, time. the world around us yeah exactly right okay so it's forming it's helping our brain form a picture of the world that's deep but that is literally what's happening now the problem with feet is and we're talking about pronation which is the um, official dropped word arches. for dropped arches. Yeah, yeah. But dropped arches is, or the visible one, where you look at the instep of the foot, the medial arch, that is only one of five signs. So you can even look at someone and think, oh no, their arches are okay, but they'll still have foot pronation, which is happening at the subtalar joint. So there's five signs which anyone can look at we call them the five red flags. Number one's a low medial arch, that instep of the foot. So for some people, you stand up when you're weight-bearing and it's like, oh my gosh, you don't have any arch. That's a really obvious case. Two, foot flare. So when you're standing up, you notice one foot, or maybe both, the old pigeon toe, but one foot's turning out a lot more than the other. Yeah. Three, internal knee rotation. So, uh, it's valgus, isn't it? But you, especially you'll get one... Like a knock-knee type? Yeah, yeah. knock-knee okay. type posture. Or bow-legged too, right? Or, yeah, absolutely. That's more supination, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, four, we're talking about Achilles tendons, bowed Achilles tendon. So, that's probably a more specific thing which we will recognise when we look at someone's Achilles tendons from behind. But you'll see... In particular with what we're talking about, one side bows inwards more than the other. And the fifth uh, red flag, which I get uh, patients telling me, excessive lateral shoe wear. So you'll notice the outside of the shoes is wearing away a lot more than the inside. And and in particular, you'll probably notice it more on one side than the other. Mm. I get a lot of people telling me that. But that's a giveaway sign, mm. okay? Those are the five red flags. Now, why would someone wear orthotics? You called it controversial before. What is the controversy? Yeah, um, I think it's... Con- look, first of all, I think, from what I know about it, 
Uh, I wouldn't put an orthotic in someone under the age of five, for starters, because the arch of the foot hasn't fully formed before that. So, but by but by the age of five, they should be formed. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, but you shouldn't really put an orthotic in anyone under that age because their foot's still developing. You know. Yeah. Um, so I'll, that that's the first thing. Um, I think why, if you really look, the, the controversy for me is that. If, if we agree that we're in an urban environment and people get orthotics because it's the best of a bad situation, many years ago, from what I know, they did a study, and I will find this for you because uh, it is important for me to back this up. Mm-hmm. I understand that. It's very important. That that is that they compared rigid orthotics to... Uh, foam orthotics or softer orthotics Mm. and they found patient compliance in rigid orthotics was nowhere near as uh as favorable in the outcomes from from the rigid because the theory was if you can put your foot even if it has dropped arches and even if it has all these problems with its position if you reposition it into its ideal position that all your problems would go away but yet they did that because they made fiberglass rigid orthotics and people still were having the same problems. So essentially it wasn't a position... Uh, the, the theory was wrong. And the theory was that biomechanically... Because we know the cause of feet problems are multifactorial, right? So it can be leg length related. It can be muscle tone related. It can be all these other things that have an impact on the function of the foot. So if you put the foot just in its correct position... But if your muscles are tight in your feet, like all the small muscles, mm. and there's a stack of muscles in your in your foot, and it doesn't like the position that you've put it in because the muscles are really rigid, your body will actually fight against it and tighten up further muscles higher up in your body. Mm. But I estimate that rigid orthotics would work for 50% of people, but the 50% who don't like them and don't respond to them they, they're in the cupboard. They can feel inherently well, that they I, look, don't respond Yeah, well. I agree with you. I don't use rigid orthotics for that exact reason. And I'll come back to the type I use, which um, uh, they allow movement. Um, uh, so there is some shock absorption. So they allow normal pronation, but only blocks the excessive pronation. Okay, which the rigid orthotics don't, I just don't allow any. So they're not allowing that natural movement that we should have. I used to use rigid orthotics. I changed to a company where they are a more flexible orthotic and I think they work a lot better. Yeah. That's my opinion. Yes. And I think the other thing too is because the foot is dynamic, not static. Mm. If you take a mould of the foot, Without, without considering the way that it moves, you'll take a mould of it in a static position, right? So then you make the orthotic according to, you know, uh, just the way it's... it's I just it's think taking a mould of the foot is a prehistoric way of doing things. So if you're out there and you go, I went to the podiatrist and you got, had me stand in something and took a mould, I just do not think that that is a modern, advanced way of doing things. That's yeah. my opinion. I think I think it'll work for a percentage of people and not work for others. Yeah. Yeah, and it will get a result. It's just not as good a result as it could be. My my other thing that I see with with orthotics is that there is one theory where it's controversial. Where if you fix the back of the foot, 
the front of the foot will be fine, which means if you just put the heel and the arch in its ideal position, mm. the, the big toe will free itself. Uh, well, that's why, once again, Mick, the orthotics I use, it's a full foot. They affect yeah. the three arches. There's three arches in the feet. The medial arch, which is the instep, the lateral arch, which is across the outside of your foot, and there should be a transverse arch across the head of the toes, and that's the one which drops and collapses with metatarsalgia and Morton's neuroma. Okay. So some, some of the these orthotics aren't addressing some of that, no, though, is no. what I'm and, saying. No, and the foot level is ones the spinal pelvic stabilizers because they address all three arches, not just one component of it. Um, does that make sense what I'm saying with some of the stuff that I'm saying to you yeah totally and and you've just explained why you reminded me why I moved over to using the type of orthotics that I use I should say I don't make the orthotics I do the digital foot scans I look at the five red flags um, and then I muscle test as well yeah so I get something to stand up on them you know test functional neurology test strong Week, it's really clear when when it's obvious when people need them because they either go weak or strong. Yes, no, easy. Um, the thing with arches in the feet is they're not held up by the muscles. They're held up by ligamentous integrity. Once you lose that, you never get it back. So there are people saying, oh, it's not natural. You should let the foot be natural. Let the muscles strengthen. It's going to return. I've never seen that happen. Um, I've seen people scan better and and have it improve after years of using orthotics and getting adjusted regularly. I have seen, and I do see that happen. So I expect that of my patients. Um, But once you've lost those arches, the ligaments have stretched, they never go back into place. So it's either you give them some dynamic support, as we were just talking about, so that the foot functions more healthily, or or it's not going to. It's going to get worse with time. Well, you have to do a hell of a lot of work on BOSU balls and, um, you know, uh, getting the foot in a dynamic environment to strengthen up massively in different planes, which takes a fair bit of work. Yeah, it does, because they're tiny muscles. Yeah, so it takes a lot of work. Um, So jumping on on a BOSU ball once a week and on and off it, um, it's it's not really going to make that much of a difference. It'll help, but it just won't make that much of a difference. Uh, awesome. I mean, you covered that really well. Is there anything on orth- else on orthotics that you wanted to talk about? Um, well, uh, once again, I use them. It's not just for a foot thing. So they're to be used with my approach to be accompanied by chiropractic adjusting for whole body balance. Because um, as you said, the jaw, the pelvis, the upper neck, neck. are all providing feedback to your brain. Yep. Um, they're taken in a weight-bearing situation. So it's got to be, when you're doing whatever scan you're doing, you've got to be standing up. Um, but they're custom-made. Off-the-shelf orthotics have been shown. There's a study done, off-the-shelf orthotics, so, you know, the cheapo ones you get from the chemist, increase your likelihood of knee arthritis. Mm. Fact. Um and that they're made, we talked about this, from viscoelastic materials. So it allows some movement, it allows normal movement, but not excessive movement. Hence why they're called stabilisers. 
So, uh, and interestingly, we hadn't discussed this beforehand, but we both have exactly the same approach on that. Cool. Um, I think, you know, we, we, we've come, I think we've covered a lot of ground today, yeah. actually. It's 47 minutes. I think we did really well. Yeah, that's more than I thought we would. Yeah, and I, I just feel really uh, satisfied that we covered a lot of ground and we've, we've answered most of uh, the questions that you and I both had prior to, to sort of getting together today. So I think that ties it up today. Uh, we'll, we'll come at you again sometime soon with another topic that we hope you find interesting. And we're signing off. So all the best, Andrew. Have a great day. You too. Ciao. See ya.